Mindfulness Mode 158. Mindfulness has fed and fueled my peace, my joy, and my consistency. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, I talk with people from all walks of life to discover the many forms of mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited to have Jay Fizette on the line today. Hey, Jay, are you in Mindfulness Mode? I certainly am now, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Jay Fizette is a best-selling author and business strategy coach. Jay has worked in the field of consciousness workshops and programs for over 30 years, and over 40,000 people have participated in these programs. Jay has coached thousands of clients to help transform their lives. He knows that mindset plays a huge role when helping to move clients toward their goals, and he believes in the power of mindfulness as a way to not only help clients, but also stay grounded and focused in his own life. So, Jay, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, mindfulness is a monumentally, uh, I think, big and uh, powerful process. Mindfulness to me is really this idea that I am going to be present with what is going on in my heart, mind, and soul. Uh, It means that I'm going to understand what my true motivations are and the structure of my belief system. And it means that I am going to be able to consciously direct my energy and focus um, versus being distracted, scattered, and pulled in a million different directions. And, um, you know, I just fervently believe that this as a powerful grounding tool and ability is simply one of the most important aspects of all human beings being able to create the lives that they want. Right. And that makes total sense. And, you know, I know that you've done a lot of facilitating. So tell us how you actually use these mindfulness tools or, you know, I mean, they can be called mindfulness or maybe when you use them, you had different words for them. But how did you use this to kind of connect with your people? Well, Wow, great question. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that, uh, you know, when we were just having our little pre-interview, you were saying it's like, man, the, the interest in mindfulness is, is like is really quite something and amazing and beautiful. And I got to tell you, I just feel uh, I, I am thrilled, number one, for you, for me and for the world, because I, I actually believe that um, the vast majority of humanity is unconsciously motivated by their unmet needs. And that until we can slow down, get off the external distraction treadmill of uh, consumption, entertainment, um, and numbing, <laughs> until that happens, and we can actually slow down long enough to look within, to find out first and foremost, um, who are we? What are we motivated by? What is significant and important to us? What are our unique gifts and passions? And how are we going to manifest that in the world? Until that happens, the honest to goodness truth is that most people just run around um, unconsciously attempting to fill the wants, needs, and desires that, that they're told should be filled with stuff um, and consumption. So anyway, I, I could get on a big long rant about that. But so our driving force was this. 
is um, let's find out what is really true about you. Let's find about find out about your fundamental uh, belief system and how you filter, process, and attempt to make your way in the world. Um, and then let's slow down long enough to not have a series of unconscious reactions drive our world. Um, but to pause long enough to be, in your words, mindful enough, in my words, conscious enough um, to truly direct my energy um, as opposed to unconsciously respond. So we used an unbelievable amount of tools from um, visualizations, meditations, um, affirmations, experiential exercises and activities, um, conscious stretching, you name it, we did it. You know, like in, in for example, our first program called The Gift, uh, there's 33 different experiential activities all aimed at assisting people to be more mindful, every single one of them. Wow. So let's start with this. Who are you? I'm sure that you came to a point where you had to discover that about yourself. Can you share that with us? I, I certainly can. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, that's a, a big, broad question that people answer in lots of different ways. Um, but I'll tell you the, the you know, and I'm going to tie this to drivers in terms of, of where we're at and what's going on and all of those pieces. Um, I think the first fundamental piece to me is for me an acceptance that I'm a spiritual being having a human experience, not a human being having the odd spiritual experience. Right. Um, and the the unfolding from that in terms of what I believe to be the interconnectedness um, of humanity shifts absolutely everything in terms of how I show up, how I engage, um, what I think, believe, and project about myself and other human beings. So that would be one of the first foundational pieces. The, the, and, and I want to be clear about this. is For me, that's not an, that's not an intellectual pat answer um, because when we can get down to the level of it becomes a foundational belief upon which I organize my life and world, um, it influences every thought. It influences every action. It influences um, – uh, every interaction, it influences um, both my internal and external dialogue. It influences utterly and completely everything. So that would be uh, point one to it. And then th the next piece is, and I actually found discovered this um, in you know the predecessor of the gift, which was I up to that point in time, like many people, um, had had my heart broken and I had been disappointed by other human beings and people and all the rest. And I sort of developed this unconscious pattern of you know what, my life would just be a whole hell of a lot better if people would just leave me the hell alone. So, um, you know, I, I kind of had a, um, <laughs> there, there's an impolite word for this and, 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 uh, I don't know how to say it. So it rhymes with truck, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you to the rest of the world, which was as long as you stayed away, I'd be fine. And, and I had a real strong story of, I don't like people that are pain in my ass, all of those things. Um, and the greatest discovery that I made in this process of, of personal transformation and consciousness was the reality is exactly the opposite of that. And I was completely and utterly full of shit, uh, which is I deeply love people and I care deeply about people, which is why I wanted for my own safety to keep them further away as opposed to letting them get close because I cared so much. So um, in that discovery of being a lover of people, that also really impacted what I chose to do with my life and ultimately dedicated to serve and support people to, number one, become conscious, number two, uh, eliminate some of the limiting beliefs and those things that are getting in their way so that they can really live their mission while being here on planet Earth. Well, I know that your best-selling book is called Reframe Your Blame. And so is that where you started in yourself, dealing with the blame that you had? 
Um, it was certainly a big, wide open door. And, and Bruce, I would love to say that I started there and had it figured out early, but I sure did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, that book actually is, and, and by the way, I'll just share the premise of the book because the, the, the title isn't the most inspirational title in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the premise of the book, and I actually do think that it is, and, and by the way, and I want to be very clear, I would say this even if I hadn't written the book, is that that book I think is some of the most powerful and comprehensive work on the topic of personal accountability um, that has ever been done, in my humble opinion. And what transpired for me is that I had, I'm going to call it a series of experiences where um, I believed at the time that I had sort of mastered this thing of personal accountability. Um, however, and I don't know if you share this view, but I, I think it's kind of funny. Like anything in the universe could happen once. You know, like you and I could be sitting here and we can get struck by lightning. Crazy stuff happens in our universe. Sure does. But, but if something happens twice, you know, that's a little bit of a, you know, wake up call to me. It's like knock, knock, knock. Um, pay attention to this. This is kind of unique and interesting. And if something happens three times in our life and in our world, we are consciously and less than consciously inviting, um, engaging, uh, co-creating that experience is my belief. So I had my third experience of losing every red cent on planet Earth. Um, and this happened after 15 years of teaching personal accountability. And my definition of personal accountability is that experience or the recurring experience stops happening because we have applied, integrated, um, and redesigned our life being personally accountable. So the recurring pattern stops. And by the way, if anybody ever says to you, it's like, yeah, 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 I'm totally accountable for what happened there, but they keep having that same experience, that's nothing but lip service and bullshit. That is absolutely, utterly not true. Otherwise, the pattern would uh, stop. So anyway, there I am, third, third time lucky, so to speak, and it's like, oh my goodness. I clearly still have something deep and meaningful to learn and I, and I just threw myself into what was really going on. What are the real patterns and the different levels of victimization and the different levels of personal accountability um, and how we can frame those out to serve and support people for greater awareness. Because you know, I, I think you know as, as well as, as probably any human being on planet earth that the exact opposite um, of mindfulness is worry, guilt, blame, victimization, projection, because we can, it's anything but being present. For sure. So it, it becomes a foundational tool for anyone really interested in, you know, I'm dedicated to being mindful, but I do find myself um, getting pissed off, grumpy, and, and a little victimy over how somebody was or what my expectations were in my relationship or how the boss treated me or how the in-laws are behaving or any, if that's, if that's happening at all mindfulness and presence is impossible. So, so this really is a foundational tool and, and, you know, I wish I could tell you it's like, oh, I just learned it at the snap of a finger. Um, but truly that's probably been one of the most significant elements of my journey, uh, for the first, I would say like 18 years, 15 to 18 years, um, of working on myself and serving support people to wake up uh, and become more conscious. Right. Well, you know, it's it's just incredible that you've been through all that and then you're able to help your clients to make sure that they don't go through the same thing. And I know many coaches use the power of mindful questioning to help them break through. Do you do this? And if you do, can you describe that process for Mindful Tribe? 
Well, um, can you give me just a, a brief example of what you mean by mindful questioning? Well, what I mean is, you know, you talked at first about getting to know who you are. And sometimes we we do think we know who we are. And then as a coach, you need to dig deeper. Okay, so if you believe in this, then why? And mm-hmm. then if you believe in that, why? What is the reason for that? And just keep going, peeling back the onion layers, so to speak, peeling yes. back and finding out what is the true reason. Yeah, we certainly do that. And I am a huge proponent of something called experiential learning. Right. And one of the one of the pieces about the pure questioning mode, and please understand, we do it, but we do it in conjunction with exercise and activities. Because in the pure questioning mode, our belief system is unbelievably powerful and is designed to protect itself and to be right about what it has already generated and projected and co-created in our lives. So we, we would use a slightly different approach to that in that we would, uh, number one, share a particular concept or idea. And that idea, by the way, could be personal accountability. Um, that idea could be a, a model that we call payoffs and protections, which is what's really driving us. How do you get to be safe? How do you get to be right? How do you get to maintain your image? How do you get to uh, uh, win recognition? So we'll use a, a, a particular, you know, let's call it a brief lecture to plant a seed or a concept. But instead of trying to teach just the intellectual component of it, then we just do a series of exercise activities and processes. And it, what transpires for most people is that what they truly believe, as opposed to what they think and what our belief system and what our, our mind might say, what we truly believe gets demonstrated in our reactions, in our responses, and how we choose to uh, or how we choose to answer and or what are the feelings that are going on. So, so the experience might uh, in fact open up something that I didn't believe was necessarily true about me, that once the experience is there, then the mindful questions have, uh, in, in my experience, a whole bunch more traction because we can sort of sidestep the conscious mind and what it thinks the right answer should be. So um, we do an inordinate number of uh, exercise and activities and processes that often people say, it's like, well, I thought we were doing one thing, but it turns out it was something else. (laughs) And uh, and the reality is is it's just a really great uh, experiential process that then allows us to to more objectively go, hmm, if that pattern exists – how is it playing out in my life? How is it playing out in my relationships? Does, uh, does my degree of trust affect my marriage? Does my degree of trust affect how I show up with my children? Does my degree of trust show up how I treat my clients? So if we intellectualize this, it can be somewhat difficult. So, so I'm just a big believer that um, absolutely mindful questions are powerful. Um, but many times we need to quite literally get them out of their head to create the demonstration and the proof through um, emotional reaction, through uh, automatic responses to go, well, this is what the brain says, but this is how you actually behaved. So let's talk about how you actually behaved because that's going to give us a different, uh, a different way in. D- does that make sense? Well, it to does. You? And, and, you know, it answers the question to me why you're such a highly acclaimed coach because you, you're really able to dig deeply. And that's obvious from what you've said as an answer to that question. I, I know one of the things you talk with your clients about sometimes is the model of trading time for money. And mm. I just want to talk about that for a minute. What are some of the other directions your clients often end up taking? Boy, you're, you're going to get me on my soapbox here, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, 
as a society, we are just deeply conditioned with, I think, a quite core wounding belief when it comes to the act of creation and contribution, which is the way for me to earn money is to trade my time. And based upon the complexity of what I can actually manage in terms of you get more education, you'll get more uh, dollars per hour. We have bought that process hook, line, and sinker. And it forces us quite literally in an unconscious manner into trying to squeeze our life, our experiences, and our capacities into a box. So if somebody makes $50,000 a year for working 40 hours a week, then I need to try and figure out how to squeeze my life into $50,000 a year. The, the fundamental shift, the other side of that coin, is if we can serve and support people to stop thinking about time for money and begin to think about income for value, what occurs is that often the value that we can provide has nothing to do with time. Nothing. And yet many people still try to think about this. It's like, well, how do I translate that into, you know, I'm a, a $250 an hour coach or I'm a $1,000 an hour coach. The model is still not sound. And quite literally, it blocks us into a spot of literally trading our time, which I think you can equate with our life energy, with our creative force, with our capacity to actually manifest. Trading that for quite literally, pennies on the dollar in terms of the true value that we could create for a client, for a community, uh, for an organization, for a family, for whatever it happens to be. So, so the idea that in the broad strokes is simply this, is what do I have a value? What is my unique capacity? And, and my? we sometimes tease people about it being that, that natural gift, that thing they can channel. Um, I don't know if you're, if you're ha happen to be an old David Letterman trick, uh, David Letterman fan, yeah. but sometimes we call it our stupid human trick, that <laughs> thing that we can just do that no one else can do and we think everybody can do. Right. Um, <laughs> but to really get clear about what that is and pose the question, what's the most powerful way to leverage that in terms of value for our tribes, for our communities, and for the world. And that doesn't work out to $50 an hour or $500 an hour or any of those sorts of things. When we really figure it out, it, we're talking about freedom for the person who figures it out. And, and I want for all human beings freedom. I want freedom from fear. I want freedom from their limiting beliefs. I want freedom from uh, oppression. I want free, like that, that to me is one of the drivers. And when we can solve money, because it's difficult to solve money from the time for money model, I mean, that's a tough road to hoe, but when we can solve money, it shifts things in a meaningful manner for the world. Well, it can make all the difference, that's for sure. A lot of the people I talk to use some form of meditation in their life, Jay. I wonder if you'll share with Mindful Tribe, do you have any form of meditation in your life? I do, uh, and, and I've been doing it for an incredibly long time. So one of the things that, that we have taught for now almost 30 years is we help people to write a sort of three-prong process, um, and one of which is uh, their life mission as they understand it. Um, the next is their ideal day, and then the third is a series of affirmations that they write and customized for their life, for the traits and characteristics that they want to be, do, and have in their life. And uh, we record them. And they're, they're, we teach a specific process in terms of the visual, uh, what we call fully associated visualizations in terms of going through that process. And we actually have, uh, you know, for the better part of 30 years, helped people record them and listen to them 
in their own voice, with their own visualizations, in a space of inviting co-creation, collaboration, healing, all of those pieces. So I started doing that. You know, this is how long I, I've been doing that, Bruce. Is I started doing that what feels like 100 years ago with a cassette tape with one of those microphones yeah. with, with a, a record player or another cassette tape in the background playing so that I had music in the background. Ah, you know, these, yes. You know, these days, uh, in which I think is just funny as can be because these days it takes about 42 seconds to do, of course, uh, in GarageBand or iMovie on the Mac and it's like, Man, 30 years ago, I'd have killed for this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so fully associated visualizations. So you spend some time and write down your life mission, I'm assuming, your ideal day, your series of affirmations, and then you read it when you're comfortable into a, like you say, into a method of recording on your computer. Yes, exactly. And, and so let's just use the affirmation piece just mm-hmm. in terms of whatever the affirmation happens to be. You know, And I'll give you an example of of one of the, what we actually call a contract slash, slash affirmation in terms of reclaiming um, parts of self. So when I was originally going through the program, long before I ran the program, when I was originally going through the program, there was this, this aspect. These three things kept me not present and not mindful. So I wanted to reclaim this idea of I, J, am a trusting, forgiving, emotional man. All of that was aimed at me being more present to what was true for me versus the story I told myself that it would be easier if people would just take a flying leap. So what would transpire is record that. My voice, I hear it. Then there's a pause in the actual recording where there's a fully associated visualization where I would fully associate emotions, being in the scene, in an experience of being trusting, forgiving, and emotional. Complete that visualization. That usually, by the way, and I don't know if any of you are Abraham Hicks fans, but what's funny about this is that even long before the Abraham Hicks stuff, uh, because I've been at this 30 years, is that uh, we taught that is like do it somewhere between 15 and 20 seconds. And of course, Abraham Hicks has the whole thing of, you know, 17 seconds of pure thought, which we'd been sort of teaching accidentally for eons before I actually heard it from them. Uh, But anyway, visualize that for approximately 17 seconds, say it again, move on to the next one. And that little habit for, you know, eight to 15 minutes twice a day has been one of uh, the most significant, shifting, powerful, grounding experiences of my life. Wow. Wow. And obviously for your clients as well, that's made a a massive difference for them. Without a doubt. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Jay, I always ask a question about bullying. I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for a long time, and I'm wondering if you have a story about bullying, whether it's yourself or your mindset or whatever, where mindfulness would have made a big difference. That's a really good question. For whatever reason, I think I have always been a protector of people in some way, shape, or form. If I look back, you know, as a young man in high school and college and those sorts of things, the only fights that I ever got in were an effort to protect someone who was being hurt or to step in where something felt unfair or any of those pieces. And, you know, just to be perfectly clear with you, there's a multitude of times where I should not have been stepping in. Even though I was grumpy at the time, I was still even then probably more of a lover than a fighter. <laughs> but but I think what what's interesting to me about that is whether it's bullying in terms of an external process, I am certain that if I were more mindful and less reactive, it would have stopped or, or I could have found alternative ways to help protect, avoid in the first place some of the sort of crazy situations I got into as, as a young man. 
But I really do think there's a big piece around tone because there's a lot of things that I think lots of people wouldn't actually classify as bullying, wouldn't necessarily classify um, in, you know, what I think we commonly view as, you know, there's the mean kid on the playground. And I think that this idea of mindfulness is when we are fully present and we are fully aware of ourselves and what's driving us, the ability or the thought or the, the remote possibility of engaging in the negative energy to put someone else down or to attempt to feel greater because somebody is lesser, it evaporates instantly because it makes no sense. It's out of alignment. It can only feed and fuel resistance, all of those pieces. It occurs to me that there comes a time and a space in our self-awareness that anything along those lines would be the equivalent of hitting my own finger with a hammer. You know, it's just, it, it just is ridiculous and impossible. So I, I don't know if that's what you were searching for exactly, my friend, but, but you know, I, I know it could have made my life easier younger had I been more conscious and aware. And I, I do believe that there is a, a foundation or a measure of consciousness and mindfulness that if we are still engaged in being hard on people for any reason. By the way, people, of course, includes ourselves. So that applies to the self-talk. That applies to um, our own dialogue with ourselves, the universe, God. If that's going on, it just means we've got some more work to do. Well, yeah, it is so important to, to be less reactive, that's for sure. And it takes a lot of time to develop that. I wanted to go back to your childhood for a second. And I'm just wondering, you know, as a coach, you help so many people. Were you like that as a kid? Did you always want to help people? Did you want to help transform people? That's a great question. So I grew up in a really small town in Saskatchewan, you know, that's a that's a province in Canada for those of you from God knows where. Um, but it, it was like sixty two people on a good day. You know, three streets <laughs> going east and west, three streets going <laughs> going north and south. And so it was very very small. And what's interesting about that town, and, and I got to tell you, it's, it's kind of a joke of you know Saskatchewan being a great place to be from. Meaning that if you don't have a farm there, you got to leave to actually do something. The, the other <laughs> side of it is, I actually believe, and there's some really powerful pieces about growing up, how and where I did. Because I wouldn't say yes to the question that you asked in that it's like, oh, I always wanted to help people. But what's true about the culture of my community was that we all always did and thought nothing of it. And what I mean by that is literally people would leave the keys in their vehicles in case somebody needed it. Sure. It was a it way was, of life, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if, you, if you needed food, like you go into somebody's house and literally make a sandwich and be nice if you cleaned up afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we got together for people and, and this might sound a little strange, but you know, if we look back just four generations from now, there were people in our communities that were freezing to death in sod houses on the prairies. Mm -hmm. And the truth is where we grew up is, is that it wasn't this, this thing of, you know, I'll, I'll help you cause it's convenient or I'll help you because I want something or I'll help you cause I'll have one over on you. The truth is that those communities collaborated to survive, and it, it just became a way of life. And even if, you know, I, and I think back, even if there was, you know, every town's got some people that don't quite fit, you still helped because you still helped because there were people and they required help and you do it. It's so Just the so way I, it was, wasn't it, Jay? Yeah, exactly. So, so I think 
that the community and the consciousness and the stand that was embedded everywhere clearly influenced me significantly. But honestly, at, at the time, I'd say, well, no, I'm, I don't really feel that. We just did it, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, it really does make sense. Jay, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Oh, goodness. Um there was a book I read like 40 years ago, and I don't remember what, what the name of it was, but it taught affirmations the very first time, and that was the beginning of me slowing my brain. Um, I would his, The name of the book escapes me, but I started it like 35 years ago, even before I went to work at that organization, and it was something about you can change. Failing remembering his name, I'm going to say Louise Hay because that was the next book that I read about it. <laughs> uh, Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life, and and, uh, and that became another source of, of creation for me for that process. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jay? I would say mindfulness has fed and fueled my peace, my joy, and my consistency. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. I use it as an induction process. So at the beginning of all of my recorded processes, all the rest of it, there's a little breathing process. Um, in the old days, I used to have a little countdown process that would be a little bit related to self-hypnosis, all of those elements. Mm -hmm. But um, one of, I think, my great strengths is in coping with life in the world is that I have, I have always been, for, for as long as I can remember paying attention to it, um, a, a pretty powerful and deep breather. And, you know, thank goodness. I know that you have your amazing book, Reframe Your Blame. You mentioned Louise Hay's book. Are there any other books that come to mind that uh, are related to mindfulness and have helped you? I'll tell you one that I have. Every time I read it, I have a meaningful spiritual experience that I believe is related to presence and mindfulness. And it is The Silent Pulse by George Leonard. Now, it was out of print for many, many years. I read it the first time probably 28 years ago. Uh, it was out of print, and it has just come back into print if anyone's interested. And, and it's truly a beautiful book, completely in alignment with our conversation. I love that, and I don't think anybody has ever suggested that on the show before. So that's great. I'll check it out. Can you share an app which might help you to be more mindful? You know what? I have never bought, uh, that's not true, I have bought, but I have never used on a consistent basis a mindfulness app. I've tried a couple, and the honest to God truth is, I, and I think it's just because I'm so used to my meditations and processes in my own voice uh, that anyone else's voice just doesn't do it for me. So, no. <laughs> and and I guess if I could say this, an app that you may use is the recording app so that you can record your own voice with your own affirmations. Oh, is that right? I, absolutely. And I, and I use iMovie for that. It's the fastest, easiest thing in the universe. Um, I knock them off in no time flat. Sure. So what advice would you give a person who's new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Well, first and foremost, it is an innate capacity of all human beings. And this idea of mindfulness, metacognition, consciousness, presence, all of those elements, I fervently believe that it is the most significant and important doorway that you must pass through to not be one of the unconscious masses and to have the possibility of peace, joy, love, creation, living your mission, and making your unique contribution to the planet. If this isn't in place, we end up chasing our tails in unconscious, reactive, and ridiculous manners. I fervently believe it needs to be a priority of all human beings who are dedicated 
to creation. Well, I'm really glad you said that because I've run into a lot of people who have said to me, well, you know what, Bruce, I can't meditate. That just doesn't work for me or I can't. And we, you know, fill in the blank with any of these tools. And so it's interesting that you said it is an innate capacity in all human beings to be mindful. And I truly agree with you. Jay, it has really been awesome spending this time with you today. You have shared so much with Mindful Tribe. Just wondering, how can we learn more about what you do and maybe connect with you? Well, you know, the easiest way to do that, and, I, and I'll give you two websites, both of them pretty simple and straightforward, uh, one of which is jfazette.com. That's my blog that I I write in spurts and stops, just to be perfectly clear about it. But the other piece, and this is something that we are doing an inordinate amount of work with, is Mastermind to Millions Live. And we have a live event coming up um, in Scottsdale uh, in December. So I support coaches, trainers, authors, entrepreneurs to position, lead, and launch their own masterminds. And one of my most favorite ones is a mastermind called Creation Circles that I did with a dear friend of mine who, shock of all shocks, his mastermind was primarily aimed at spiritual evolution and mindfulness. So uh, while it may not feel immediately to people as a as an immediate connection, it is absolutely on track and in alignment for the evolution, the process, and the practice of mindfulness. A mastermind group is a brilliant method and means. So if anyone wanted to check that out, I would actually make arrangements for you guys to get access, come down, and uh, have some fun and learn about masterminds and how it could support the process of mindfulness. Well, I know that masterminds can be incredibly powerful, so it's really exciting that you're involved in that. Anyway, yeah, it has been fantastic today, Jay, to talk with you and learn so much about what you do. And I thank you immensely and hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I truly appreciate it. And uh, Mindfulness Tribe, I am a fervent believer in what you're up to and anything I can do to support. Super. Thanks a lot. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.